0: matthew chapter fourteen matthew chapter number fourteen if you take your outline out of your bulletin you're gonna notice that it says mark chapter six apparently i put down the parallel account rather than matthew chapter fourteen yogi pointed that out to me earlier he suggested that i blame it on the typist and so that's what we're going to do unfortunately i'm also the typist Matthew chapter 14. I want to bring you a message that I've entitled Herod, Herod, a man driven. Every day we are bombarded by the sound of many voices, each suggesting the course of conduct that we should pursue with our lives. Those voices come from our family, from our friends, and even from our enemies. There are also voices that we hear from within. And in the story that we have before us this morning, we have Herod as he listens to the three driving forces in his life. The course of his life is going to be determined by what he allows to be the driving influences of his life. The question, of course, for us this morning is... What are we allowing to be the driving influences in our lives? When John the Baptist burst onto the scene, he burst out from the wilderness and onto the national scene rather abruptly, and he began by boldly denouncing sin. He called the people to repent in preparation for the coming Messiah. Now, John didn't shrink back from anyone. He even denounced the insincerity of the religious leadership of the time. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, he called them vipers, snakes. And he said that they should flee from the coming wrath. It should probably then cause us little surprise that John would ultimately collide with the morally corrupt reigning king. In his typical straight-shooting fashion, John the Baptist let him have it with both barrels. John recognized that as leader of the country, Herod had a moral responsibility to be an example for the rest of the country in his conduct. Unlike many in our day who say it really doesn't matter what morals or what character or what integrity our leaders have. John knew that it did indeed matter. I want you to notice the three driving influences in Herod's life. First of all, Herod is driven by passion. I don't mean that in a good sense. We could use the word lust, we could use the word sensual, we could use the word flesh. But I use the word passion. The Herod in our text is Herod Antipas. He is the son of Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great? He was the king when Jesus was born. When Herod Antipas, when we consider him, we need to understand that he is not a Jew, his father was an Edomite, and his mother was a Samaritan. That makes him an Arab. It's little wonder that he was so hated by the Jews that he ruled. When his father, Herod the Great, died, he divided the kingdom into three parts, and one was given to each of his three sons, or three of his sons, I should say one of which is the man in our text. So actually, he really wasn't a king at all. The Bible says he was a tetrarch. Tetrarch was a technical term that means a fourth. So technically, he would have been the ruler of a fourth, but really, it came to mean a lesser prince or a governor. Now, Herod was a man who was governed by his passions. On a trip to Rome, he became infatuated with his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. He seduced her, and after he returned to Galilee, his home, he divorced his wife, and he married Herodias. Sounds thoroughly modern so far, right? Herod knew that God's word forbid him to marry his brother's wife, but it gets better. To further complicate the issue, Philip, her first husband, was her uncle, which also makes Herod Antipas her uncle. The sin was that she was unlawfully married to Herod Antipas, who is her uncle and her former brother-in-law. Now, when John the Baptist heard of it, he confronted Herod for his sin. Herod reacted by having John first imprisoned and ultimately having John killed. And now, in reverse order, as we look at the Scripture this morning, we're going to discover why and how Herod had John killed. If this were on TV or in the films... It would be a flashback, a memory from the past. But Herod is not only driven by his passion. We're going to see that Herod is secondly driven by his guilt. And the first part of that we're going to see is that Herod's conscience is convicted by the memory of John. Look at verse number 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John, and bound him, and put him in prison. And for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, notice that the Holy Spirit actually does not ever call Herodias his wife. It calls it his brother's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So when Herod begins to hear the reports about Jesus, he begins to hear the reports about the miracles that are occurring in the ministry of Jesus, he comes to believe that it might be John returned from the dead. Now I find that very interesting and very enlightening because you need to Stop to remember, history tells us that Herod Antipas was a Sadducee. Sadducees, according to the New Testament, do not believe in an afterlife, and they do not believe in the resurrection. Isn't it interesting how desperate times can affect bad theology? He blurts out a confession to the very thing that he says he does not believe. It is the old, there are no atheists in the foxhole syndrome. You you always find out what someone believes or doesn't believe when they get in a tight enough situation. Everybody talks about having a religion that is good enough to live by But the real test is having a religion that is good enough to die by. The biggest reason that Herod thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist is guilt. Guilt over what he did to John. So what did John do to John the Baptist that caused him to be all torn up inside? Verse 3 says that John was put in prison for Herodias' sake. When John the Baptist meets the royal couple, he immediately denounces the marriage as unlawful. If you look at verse number 4, it says that John repeatedly condemned this marital arrangement because the verb tense, and you might underline the words there, had said. Had said is imperfect, which means that John Repeatedly, every time he had an opportunity, John said, this marriage is not lawful. Every time John was around Herod, every time he was at a place that he might hear, he preached to get incest and adultery from the Word of God. John's message made Herod uncomfortable, and it infuriated his wife. Now Herodias was a bitter woman who hated John. She hated John because he exposed her sin. Now remember it was said that Jesus warned in John chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. In one sense of the word, Herod imprisoned John to please his wife. But I think it's certainly possible that he also imprisoned John to protect him from his wife. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 9, one of the parallel accounts, Herod admits his guilt guilt when he says, John have I beheaded. He took personal responsibility. John had been beheaded by Herod and now Jesus comes on the scene and some, including Herod, thought that John had been raised from the dead. The second thing is that Herod's conscience is convicted by the words of John. Verse 5. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. Although Herod wanted to put John to death, he feared public opinion. He feared the multitude because they regarded John as a prophet of God. So afraid to put him to death, he did what he considered was the very next best thing. He had him thrown in prison. History tells us that he was imprisoned in the dungeon of Herod's palace on the edge of the Dead Sea. Yet while he is imprisoned there, Herod had a somewhat remarkable relationship with John. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 20 it reveals, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him Gladly. Herod's in this really weird position. He both hated and feared John, but the text implies he just couldn't resist listening to him. The voice of truth fascinated him, but it also tortured him because he did not want to repent. Herod is afraid, but it's not a godly fear. It's only fear of the consequences of his actions. Oh, he may suffer a sleepless night or two, but he really doesn't have any desire to change. One is always faced with one of three choices when they hear the truth. We can ignore the message, we can get angry about the message, or we can use it as a reason for us to repent. It is possible to virtually silence that voice within ourselves that we call conscience. We nullify it by repeated abuse. Paul spoke of people whose conscience was so convoluted that, that they actually gloried in their shame. And you probably know some people who brag about how sinful they are. After so much violation, the conscience finally falls silent. Our conscience is like the nerve endings in our fingers. Its sensitivity to external stimulus can be damaged either by the buildup of calluses or even by being wounded badly or, as the Bible talks about, seared. So much so that, they, that it becomes virtually impervious to any feeling. Not only is Herod driven by <clears throat> guilt, but third, Herod is driven by fear. Herodias has been urging Pilate, no doubt, to kill John, but so far his fear has kept him from following through. Herodias has just been biding her time, waiting for an opportunity to get even with John, and that day finally came on Herod's birthday. It begins with a drunken party on verse 6 but when Herod's birthday was celebrated. Mark's gospel account in Mark chapter 6 and verse 21 tells us that that Herod gave a huge feast in celebration of his birthday, and everybody who was anybody in his kingdom was there. Herod and his guests are having a nice little drunken party, celebrating his birthday when Herodias sees her an opportunity. She sends her own daughter to dance before Herod and his guests. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that her name was Salome and that she was a teenager at the time. So Herodias is sending her own teenage daughter to perform a shocking and suggestive dance before her stepfather and a group of drunken men. It has to be noted that that kind of dance was the art of a professional prostitute. You can't hardly imagine the wickedness necessary to put your own daughter on display in such a fashion. The drunken party leads to a foolish promise in verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Herod's young stepdaughter captivated him with her erotic dancing. Herod is influenced by strong drink and lust. Not a good combination for sound decisions. Yet neither is it an excuse. According to Mark, Herod is moved by a desire to show his authority. And in his pride, he offers the girl whatever she should want, up to half of his kingdom. The sad reality is, <clears throat> Herod didn't have a kingdom, he wasn't a king, he was just a glorified Roman governor. But I want you to see the shocking request that she gives as a result of that. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Salome rushes from the room. She consults with her mother. She comes back and she lays her request. Although it is her mother's idea because her mother had said, ask for for the head of John the Baptist. The wording is the girl's very own. She was actually demanding, I want you at once to deliver to me the head of John the Baptist on a banquet platter. Apparently, the mother's personality had passed on to her daughter. She wanted a bloody head, and she wanted right here, right now. I think that it's highly likely that Herod was suddenly very sober. And the room was very quiet. But I want you to consider what Herod knew. Herod knew that John was righteous, and he did not deserve to be treated in such a fashion. Herod knew that ordering John's execution would be a horrible injustice and just downright evil. Herod knew that he had made a big mistake in offering anything she wanted, but now he was too weak to make a stand. I think that Herod was horrified at the thought, but he was also trapped. All the important people in his kingdom were present at that banquet. They had heard him make the offer, and they also knew what the daughter had requested. Herod, no doubt, felt trapped. He knew that carrying out this request was wrong, but he also didn't want to embarrass himself in front of his guests. The story we have before us is a sad commentary on how we can become so entangled in the web of human relationships and people pressure that we ultimately do the wrong thing, even though we know we should not. Verse 9 says, And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given her." The word sorrow, or sorry, Herod felt, I think, a momentary sorrow. But Mark says that immediately carried out that request. However great Herod's sorrow was at the prospect of having John killed, it was not as great as his pride. And in the end, Herod listened to the wrong voice in order to look good in front of others. He knew it was wrong. He just could not stand to lose face. What foolish decisions have been made based on pride. Because pride can be an awful trap. Perhaps you know today that you're guilty in the sight of God. That your life, if it were to end today, you would have no expectation of heaven. You also know that Jesus loves you, that he paid the penalty for your sin. You know he will forgive you and save you if you ask. But somewhere in the back of your mind you may be hearing, well, what will my friends think? Famous preacher of the 20th century, Dr. H.A. Ironside was lost as a teenager, and his mom would beg him to be saved, and his response was always, but what will my friends think? After he was saved, he finally understood what his mother's reply always was to him when he said that. He said, Harry, your friends can laugh you into hell. But they can't laugh you out. John feared no one except God. Herod feared everyone except God. The result was that Herod condemned his own soul forever. What a tragedy to have our conscience stirred to eternal things. To have our own sinful plight as Herod did recognizable before us, and yet bury it all because of fear of what someone might think. I think more people than we have ever realized have sacrificed their eternity because of fear of what others might think. But when the time for decision arrives, what we believe has to be transformed into faith. There must be A commitment a person must not look around and try to please those who are watching a person must face the fact that only God's opinion really counts in the end and in the firm conviction that God is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him I want you to consider though there are also people who are responsible besides Herod there are the silent spectators When Herod made that foolish promise to Salome, apparently no one spoke out to make him question the implications of his foolishness. When the head of John the Baptist was asked for, again, no one spoke out or questioned the terrible act that was about to occur. They were silent. But in their silence, they also bear a part of the responsibility... For the pressure that Herod felt, by their silence, they participated in the evil and cruel act that followed. It leads us to the disastrous decision in verses 10 through 12. And so he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And then his disciples came and took away the body, of John, body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Herod now act to please his wife and to appear powerful before his guest. But now he's going to know a new kind of pressure, both guilt and fear. Now Herodias was rid of the one who accused her of her sin, but she's not, she is not rid of the sin itself. Her daughter Salome goes on to marry two of her uncles in her lifetime. Herod was not so easily done with the matter either. In fact, the murder of John the Baptist was the beginning of the end for Herod. The father of Herod's first wife, Eretheus of Nabatea, was so angered at Herod's treatment of his daughter, Then in AD 36, he led an army against Herod, which resulted in severe military losses. So severe, in fact, that Herod would have probably been captured and perhaps even killed had not the Romans intervened. Finally, he was accused of a conspiracy against the Roman emperor Caligula, and he was exiled into Gaul for the remainder of his life. I think that God has a lesson for each of us in these main characters. We have to be like, we have to look at Herod and understand that we don't need to allow wrong decisions to be the cause of tragedy in our lives. Or like Herodias, to be the instrument of tragedy in someone else's life. And even for John, We come to understand that terrible things sometimes happen even to those who are in the center of God's will. The last recorded mention of Herod presents the chilling reality of the death of his conscience. In Luke chapter 23 and verses 8 and 9, he has one last chance to clear his conscience. He has an audience with Jesus himself. He had an opportunity to to confess what he had done, to rid his conscience of this guilt, to ask to be saved. And here's what he said. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. And then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. He didn't answer because there was no need. It was obvious that Herod's conscience was long dead. The death of a conscience is a sad thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for watching over us and caring for us. And I pray especially for anyone today who is in this place that may not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Perhaps once again they have been made aware of their own condition, their own need to be saved. Maybe in the past they have allowed the thought of what someone might think to keep them from making a decision. I pray that you'd work in their hearts and lives this morning. I pray that you'd help them to understand that right here this morning. They could turn to you, admit that they are sinners, Ask to be forgiven and to receive the gift that Jesus purchased on the cross of Calvary. Father, we want to thank you that Jesus has paid that cost for each of us. I pray that we'd live in such a way that we would not sear our conscience, that we would not hinder our lives because of bad decisions made for wrong reasons. Guide and direct us in this invitation for you ask in Jesus' name. Amen.